Hello and welcome. I'm Brian Pace-Braga, and you're listening to Building Business and Balance, Conversations with BPB. I created this podcast for anyone looking for insight, mentorship, and guidance from someone who's been there and back again on the road to success. I'm so excited to bring the most brilliant thought leaders and friends on air with me to get real about what it means to build business and balance and how you define your own success. Episode two features the inspiring, wickedly talented Jennifer McCarran, CEO of Thunderbird Entertainment. Jen leads her team, of which I'm privileged to be a part of, with humility and strength. She embodies everything a leader of the future should aspire to be today. We talk about what it's like being the CEO of a company of over 1,000 employees and a mother of three and how she finds balance and purpose in the chaos. The culture is what draws people in and um, feeling safe and feeling trusted and creating an environment where it's okay to make a mistake. Um, No one's going to uh, penalize you for that as long as the attitude's right and you're trying and you're giving it your all. That's where amazing things can happen. And so just trying to really hone that in. Try new things. Be innovative. It's okay. Mistakes are fine. I certainly make them every day. Let's get into my conversation with Jen. Well, thank you for coming today, Jen. thank you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me here. Yeah, of course. You are the first female to be interviewed on my podcast. Oh, what an honor. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. I wouldn't want to have it, I think, any other way. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Good. Um, So on that, I think just to dive right into being an incredible woman in both um, business and in your family life, how does someone like you in their early 40s get to the position you've been in of being a CEO of a business that has about a thousand employees and raise three children? Um. Great question. Uh, where did it all begin? Where did where does it all where does it all begin? Yeah. So I, um, you know, I always liked leading early on. Um, I would uh, run for student council. Um, I was in a class that uh, was um, separated, uh, you know, to sort of try a different enrichment class early on in grade three. I had the same teacher from grade three to grade 10, Mrs. Sheila Zeidenberg. And uh, wow. it was an unconventional way. They took a group of about 20 students and um, tried to dream big. You know, so um, every afternoon we necessarily weren't doing math and science. We were lying on the ground, <laughs> meditating, visualizing. Really? Yes, thinking about what could be. Um, and Was this in Vancouver? I, no, this was in Ontario. Wow. Um, and it was uh, amazing, you know, experience and opportunity uh, through the public school system in Ontario. Um, and so I uh, went through that, which I think exposed me to a lot of different exciting things. You know, our class would go to Ottawa and talk to the prime minister at the time and um, go across Canada on trains and and talk about real issues and people and values. Um, wow. My, I didn't know that. My parents uh, my, were a huge influence on my life. Uh, my dad was a CEO um, throughout his career, um, be it at Carling O'Keefe Beer or Robin Hood Multifoods. And um, he definitely was a mentor to me in terms of um, you're only ever going to get out of something what you put into it. And that sort of underlying message of uh, there's a direct correlation between effort and reward, um, both um, how you enjoy it and how you can succeed, um, was very much at every dinner table conversation. Um, so, you know, that was that was early on. And then I went to university and film school and just started working as a, an office PA, really junior entry-level position, at Mainframe Entertainment, where they were doing Reboot. <laughs> which I remember was, Reboot. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Actually, I, I had a friend, <laughs> really good friend of mine in elementary school. His brother was a voiceover. Uh, his name was Matt Sinclair. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah. 
What a show. Well, it was. And it, I think it's in the Smithsonian now as the first CG animated television show in history. Uh, so I was lucky enough to get a job there, um, you know, as photocopying, doing whatever. Um, and I really felt like I'd found a group of people, a tribe, so to speak, that I love to be around. I loved being around creative people, quirky I loved supporting them in their art in any way, shape, or form, and I felt a great deal of satisfaction um, watching artists succeed. Cool. And were you ever a creative or an artistic person yourself as a as a as a young person? I think I was always around creative people. Um, I I cannot draw anything. My kids all draw better than me. Um, You know, every horse I draw looks like an anteater, or you know, I really. Uh, was never <laughs> talented like that at all. Um, but um, I I loved, you know, the class that I referred to early on, that sort of class that I was streamed in from grade three to 10, was very creative. We learned musical instruments. We played the piano. We played guitar. Uh, we went far in the music. Um, and, you know, instead of doing traditional math or science, we would uh, come at it from a creative point of view. And was this all out of school, like after school activities? It was the whole class. That's amazing. Yeah. So it was I've just never heard of something like trying this. to teach kids to look at the world in a different way. And everyone in that class went on to be very cre- you know, creative. Um, uh, you know, either professional musicians or um, you know, one guy's teaching creative writing um, at Cambridge and oh my gosh. <laughs> that those those types of careers. So it did seem to nurture a creative group. Yeah, and it just seems like, as I listen to that, it expands um, expands things that probably a lot of these people didn't even know they were good at or might want to try. Exactly. And at the same time allowed to go to the prime minister's office, see the scope of how big mm-hmm. things can, mm-hmm. can, can be. It celebrated, it allowed us as kids to celebrate careers in a way that maybe weren't traditional. Um, Amazing. Being a lawyer or a doctor, which I have huge admiration, and I have a lot of friends that went that path, Um, but a path to see success um, in a way that necessarily wasn't traditional. Amazing. I feel like we should understand that curriculum and bring it across Canada. (laughs) They they kind of abandoned it, I think. Uh, You know, they wrote to us all in university, and most of us went on to do creative writing, or I did journalism, or film, or whatnot. And so I think when they looked and they said, oh, nobody went on to be um, maybe the traditional definition of success, um, they they don't do it anymore. But I think it, you know, when I look at the peers, there's still, I've still have a ton of good friends that came out of that class and everyone's really successful, but definitely in unconventional ways. Yeah. And, and but this was like, this was the nineties. Yes. And you were meditating in the nineties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's gotta be yeah, early and, day adoption, right? And, of, and visualizing, of visualizing, you know, when yeah. you just look at it, Bianca Andrescu and what she's crediting her yes. success yes. Uh, to getting to the U.S. Open. Totally different. Uh, <laughs> not comparing myself to Bianca. No, but that, a high that, pro- yeah. that visualization uh, technique is. It was been. It's been interesting reading about that and the power of that and how if we could get kids today doing more of that sort of meditation and visualization and and the possibilities around it. Yeah, it's, it resonates with me. It's worked. Yes, it's definitely worked for me. <laughs> it definitely has worked for you. <laughs> um, so Apple just announced, I think it was two days ago now, that they've come out with a, uh, a streaming service. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've followed Netflix, which was a real pioneer in it. They followed Disney, um, I think Comcast. Mm-hmm. Did, you ever, did you ever believe that this was going to happen the way it has and that the TV would be disrupted as much as the radio was disrupted by TV. Yeah, I absolutely think when you look at some of the early on when the lines between television and film started to blur, you know, I think with HBO, like with Sex and the City and those sort of early adopters of high quality content that people would go watch maybe instead of a film, it, it, and, you know, you started to get the great top actors um, taking roles in television series. I think that the lines started to blur. Uh, Netflix, you know, very early on adopter in that market. And, you know, what we're seeing today is just people taking content and making it a personalized experience. And 
um, what works for them and taking a little bit from traditional broadcast, taking a bit from the streamers. And um, could I have imagined that this many players would come in? No, I, I probably did not think that. But then when you look at the success of Netflix, you know, both um, creatively and financially, um, there's a lot of people that want to get in on that model because it is so strong. Yeah, the subscription model is strong. Now, but wasn't TV like a bad word almost for top actors at one point? It was. It was. It really was. It was like cheapening you're, you're their 100% brand. Right. Yeah, it was. It was something that you just, it was taboo. Yeah. If you were, you know, even at the Oscars, you know, not the Oscars maybe, but the Golden Globes, there'd be like the film people up front. And then the television awards were stuck way in the upper balconies. Um and, you know, they wouldn't even be broadcast. Yeah, <laughs> and, right. And now it's just their one-to-one. Um, and how people enjoy viewing pleasure. I mean, the the quality of series out there is so when tremendous. You look at what Reese Witherspoon's doing with her company, Hello Sunshine. Um, you know, Big Little Liars. There's so many great shows out there stranger things that you know changed and and how how much cards yeah totally yeah how how much how much of like the audience's attention span or declining attention span has led to this change do you think in because i think about it like you had a feature film that was two hours and then all of a sudden you now have uh binge watching of multiple episodes, but they're 30 or 40 minutes long. Has, has that been a real reason, a real driver for the change in how this content's been absorbed? I think so. I think so, because I think it's such a great way of looking at it. Even when, you know, we do a lot of kids' content at Thunderbird, and uh, even the orders are getting to be, they used to be, you know, sort of, um, we would get a lot of 30, 60-minute specials those are very rare now. Those are considered movies for kids because that's about as long as you're going to go um, on a Netflix or an Amazon platform or, you know, Apple, et cetera. Uh, now we see orders for seven-minute episodes or 15-minute um, episodes. Um, things yeah, are really changing because it's all bite size. Uh, you look at what Jeffrey Katzenberg's doing with Quibi and, like, just bite size, high-end content. And I know with my own sort of... Um, anecdotal audience when I watch the kids they uh they'll watch something from YouTube and then something from Netflix or mix it all up when they have screen time but it's very short quick content yeah now um you mentioned Thunderbird so when did you start with Atomic and walk me through Atomic the starting of it the sale, I think it was in 2015. Yeah, July, July 4th. <laughs> July 4th, 2015. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, walk me through walk me through some of that journey. Absolutely. So I um, I think I left, I was, you know, working early on at Mainframe in really junior roles, which was amazing. Um, every time there was sort of an opportunity for responsibility, I would uh, walk through the door. So if someone's said, hey, Jen, we think you can do this next level of job, I would just say, okay. And then I would figure it out afterwards. Um, and so I would just, I just advanced when I left Rainmaker. I was um, senior VP of production there. I was on my last maternity leave in uh, <laughs> 2010 or 11, rather. Uh, and Atomic called me and said, hey, why don't you come run our studio, but we're only 20 people. And I thought, hmm. And, you know, Rainmaker and Mainframe had been so amazing to me. What a run. They had taken care of me, promoted me along the way. Um, It had been an amazing experience, but I felt like it was a natural time to have a break while on maternity leave. And it was just a a random cold call. Random cold call. So I I thought, okay, I've already found my maternity replacement. I love work. It's always been a part of my life. I've, you know, I worked since I was 11. I've always had a job because I love having, I loved having jobs. And so I uh, thought, okay, this is a great time to do it. Uh, joined the studio. I was excited to be part of a build. And uh, they didn't know how, they didn't have CG. They only did 2D. So they weren't doing any 3D, whereas I had grown up in 3D. And so I joined. And then not because of me, but, you know, because of the industry and, you know, the teams around, uh, we were able to grow from sort of 20 people to 
We're at 700, 800 now uh, today. Uh, and studios in Los Angeles, Vancouver, Ottawa, just at Atomic side of things, the kids and family division of Thunderbird. And um, it was it was just an amazing ride of bringing in, I think, just focusing on the people and the talent. Um, and then the work came. So I didn't focus. My job was to run the studio, but also bring in the work. And I didn't focus on just the work. I just focused on the people. And I just focused on the talent and the culture and getting the best talent I could and creating an amazing experience for them where they felt honored. We were hopping with integrity, um, creating something different that worked for them, uh, which incorporated a work-life balance and all of those things that as, you know, a wife and a mother I know are important. Um, And it has worked to the point that you know, we continue to draw in really high-end talent. And that's been the key to success. And then the work came. Yeah, you've added, I don't know if trying to do the math here, in, in, in eight or nine years, you've almost, you've added between 50 and 100 people a year. Or not people, animators. Like, these Ta- are talented. Yeah, really high-end, and, talented yeah. people. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Um, and being a Canadian company, how has that benefited? How has that been challenging for you? What's it been like attracting talent in, um, you know, and sometimes perceived as, you know, sleepy little Canada? It's great. The colonialism is real. Um, (laughs) I agree. Yeah. Um, We just, um, we don't weigh into it. I think some companies, you know, when you work with Los Angeles or, you know, they'll want um, their showrunners or whatnot. And my approach has always been awesome. Stronger together and then part, there's something to learn here from everyone. We never bucked against that. And we have learned. We've worked with amazing people. Um, and to get people, you know, we've had a lot of people move from the States to Canada. Uh, I would say Trump helped with that. Uh, and <laughs> so that was a good uh, Exodus, you know, California does not <laughs> traditionally vote Republican in a lot of the industries in California. People looking to relocate. Uh, and what we offer is a voice at the table. So if you've been, you know, working at Pixar at a high level, huge corporation, amazing what they've done. Um, but then you can come to Atomic Thunderbird and, you know, you are helping draw the map. You no longer are receiving map, a map and executing on it. So if you want to be part of the table and help draw that map, then you know we've we've had incredible people join the company. We're just moving a guy from California. It would be a huge announcement for us to Ottawa, and you know sleepy little Ottawa. I was a little worried touring him and his wife, who's from Orange County. Um, we did it in August, so. <laughs> Got the best month of the year. Yeah, I was pretty honest that it wouldn't be like that in January. And we helped them find housing. Or February or March or or April. April or May. (laughs) Uh, And we helped them find housing that was within walking distance to the studio because I was like, you don't want to try and drive in this. Perfect. (laughs) And, you know, welcome package was two parkers from Nordstrom. Perfect. Um, But, uh, you know, I think that uh, the culture is what draws people in and um, feeling safe and feeling trusted and creating an environment where it's okay to make a mistake. Um, No one's going to uh, penalize you for that as long as the attitude's right and you're trying and you're giving it your all. That's where amazing things can happen. And so just trying to really hone that in. Try new things. Be innovative. It's okay. Mistakes are fine. I certainly make them every day. Yeah, I agree. So walk me back uh, uh, through... Why and how you've had such a great attitude. Um, I think for a lot of young people that I meet, spend time with, um, whether it's a fear of failure um, or mistakes and being in an environment where you're embraced for being Mm -hmm. able to go out on the limb and try new things. But you, even at a young age... You were mentioning you were stepping through doors that Mainframe provided for you and and Rainmaker. why? Like, why Why did you or how did you culminate something like that in yourself? And how would you advise other young men and women on 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 that that particular um, talent that you have? Um, well, 
you know, I think, um, and I meet with artists every day, I meet with students every day. I spend at least an hour to two hours of my day with one-on-ones with the talent. It's always the highlight of my day. And the advice when I get those types of questions is, um, you can learn skills. Absolutely. You can't learn a good attitude. Mm. And that is something that will take you further than anything. And if it is your goal to advance your career, have a great attitude. If you're done your work early, go see whoever your supervisor is and says, how can I help? Can I do more? You know, it's exciting to do that. And I think there's also a personal accountability, not even when you're in a leadership role, um, but just as a human being to show up for the people around you. So don't wait until you're a leader to exude positivity and try and create something special. It takes a grass, you know, roots movement to make these things happen. You are personally accountable for everyone in your space and give them your best energy. And, you know, I say to my kids all the time, your vibe is your tribe. Mm, nice. <laughs> what you put out will come back to you tenfold. Yeah. And, you know, when you are, I've always said, you know, fast forward your career to 75 or 80 or your, your you know, your life. Um, you won't remember, everyone always says it, but it's true. You won't remember the meetings. You won't remember. What you remember is how you treated people. Um, you know, did you operate with integrity? Were you kind? Uh, kindness is a huge value. We talk about that at the company all the time. And that is what will make you happy. And so that, you know, I think also for young women to walk through that door, you asked me about that. It's a, this is a broad generalization, but, you know, if they get a job description, very conscientiously, they'll look through and think, I can do only seven of these 10 things. So I'm not going They're to. They're way more honest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. Us men, we just, oh yeah, we'll, we'll just do it. Yeah, we can do it all. Yeah. It's a very broad yeah. generalization. Yeah. No, it's okay. No, I, I, I agree. Women are way uh, more honest. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's honest or just conscientious and a little bit. Yeah, um, more self-aware. Uh, I think in general, sh- for sure. Shy yeah. too. So if there's three things on that 10 list job description they can't do, um, I see it time and time again, they won't do it. Mm. Or if they think they're going to have a baby in three years, they won't take that promotion because- what if they had a baby? Well, three years is a long time. Yeah, it's a you lot know? of value to create and three years. Take that promotion and then take the year off or 18 months, thank goodness for Canada now, um, and then come back and be at a higher level. Uh, you know, your life will be more flexible and you can make work work for you. So just that type of coaching. But the, you know, I always tell everyone, you can learn the skills. If, you're, if you have the heart and the dedication, the skills will come. What you can't learn is a good attitude. Get that in place, and the world is your oyster. Do you have down days? Um, I I have, uh, yeah, I think everyone has down days, um, you know, and what I've always tried to do is just compartmentalize them. You know, today was tough. Um, yesterday was a tough day. A million things. There were so many fires. I don't know if it was a full moon or Friday the 13th or what. I felt like I was like that blue rodeo song, stumbling <laughs> from one disaster to another. Yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? It was horrible. Yeah. Um, and I just tried to, you know, when I have days like that, um, think, okay, that was a day. Um, did I make the right decision in every meeting I was in, every encounter? Maybe not. I'm going to, uh, you know, put that in a box and try again the next day. My hardest. Just give it my all. Okay. That day happened. I'm going to show up again for the people around me. I'm going to try and I always try and create teams. I see a huge part of my job is just creating people around working harmoniously. Um, And I'm going to try again my hardest the next day. And that's all you can do is like, yeah, that day sucked. Forget about it. I'm going to, you know, sleep or I usually don't sleep as well on those days. I didn't sleep that well last night. But today I'm going to I'm going to show up and give it my all again. Yeah. I love it. Um, so did you, did you, did you feel that, um, what came first? Was it, was it passion about film and television? Was it passion of people and team building and that film just kind of fell into place? A film television business just kind of Mm -hmm. fell into place. Um, what, what do you think came, came first for you? It's a really good question. Uh, 
I think it would probably um, be a passion for people. Uh, but then as I went to university, I took a lot of film classes. And I, start, I felt like I was learning more about the world through, you know, watching Wim Wenders films from Germany and, um, you know, Triumph of the Will or something than I, and how it related to social policies, um, politics, history, than I ever absorbed um, <clears throat> from just a traditional, uh, you know, political science class. And so when I was done uh, university, before I moved to Vancouver and went to film school and started working, I was a junior reporter for YTV, which brought me here, yeah. PJ Jen. I, I took six months. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> wow, oh, yeah. I didn't know that one. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it was wow. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> a long time ago, but... Uh, and so I got a job with YTV. I was going to be PJ Jen, do their West Coast correspondent. And then I thought I'd go to film school out here. I took six months and I traveled around Europe and by myself. But you're never by yourself when you're a young person traveling around Europe. You meet people and you're in hostels. And it was amazing. And um, I went to all the places, you know, um, where I had studied the filmmakers. Uh, Vim Wenders was a huge impact on me. And spent time in Germany going to every film set that I could remember and seeing, you know, the iconic um, images from his movie, uh, going to Berlin, seeing the wall that had, you know, the, the remnants of it, that the film turned me on to the bigger world. Uh, but, and I loved the creative space, but it was the people. And that's what makes me happy going to work every day is the people I get to work with. Yeah, it's funny. You and I share that. Uh, mine's for a different reason. I'm not a great reader, actually. So for me to learn information has either been through communication like this, through mm -hmm. discussions, or through really good like historical content. I've learned way more about history in the last year and a half than, unfortunately, I ever did in, in school. Because just weren't absorbing it in that same way. Yeah, watching Netflix and World War yeah. II documentaries and like just being way more engaged. And you travel so much. Do you cement that with your travel? I'd say, um, I'd say I understand people more as I travel. Um, and I think just the lineages of, of, of the bloodlines from what happened in history definitely... People are are product of that at the end of the day. So getting to know and understand people from different countries and having the background knowledge, um, I don't know if it cements it, but it gives me it gives me definitely a better place of of understanding um, the whys why why people do things the, the the way they do and 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 not to carry judgment or if I ever do have that feeling of judgment, really just check myself and then learn about. The lineage and, and understand it better because there's there's always a a, a reason. Uh, that's so yeah we're that very aligned in that way. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um. So you did go to university though. Yes. And did you yes. you finished? Yep, I did. And did you ever? So walk me walk me through your university experience. Um. Well, uh, coming out of high school, I'd say after I'll step back a little bit because I hope young people can get something from it. I after I got out of that um, sort of enriched uh, creative class in grade ten, the most amazing class that we have to build a <laughs> curriculum around. Uh, I would it love sounds to. awesome. Yeah, I wonder what you know, Mrs. Einberg's now doing. Let's find um, her. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when I got into grade eleven, it was traditional math and science, and I was like, oh my god, this is not interesting. Mm -hmm. um, this is a traditional way of learning. I wasn't. I didn't do well in grade 11 and 12. And, um, you know, I was checked out. I started partying. I hung out. I was way more interested in, in friends um, than academic experiences. I'd always been, you know, great, great student until I, that class kind of ended. And then it was a disaster. Oh, we really um, need to build this curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, we're not lying on the ground and meditating anymore. <laughs> I'm not into this. Um, and so um, I you know, was um, not someone that was coming out of high school and getting scholarships. You know, um, I had a drama teacher in uh, at the end of high school who said, I'm going to give you a crazy high mark because I think there's a light in you that's gone out and I want you to go to university. So a teacher gave me a gift to bring my average up. 
into the 70s um, so that I could get into Carleton, get into the journalism classes, um, start taking the film classes in Ottawa. And so I did it. And then when I got to university, there was something I felt um, like I was choosing my classes. I was engaged again. Um, I felt that my dad had kindly, you know, uh, I had to buy all my books and I had to work and I had to pay for my room and board. He was strict that way, paid my tuition. And so I felt an obligation to also not let down my parents who'd made an investment in me. Um, and so I started to do really well again in university. But the end of high school, is, it was, you know, disastrously rocky. Yep. Um, managed to get in, finished university in a four-year degree, um, did well and, and enjoyed it. For the most part, I always worked during university, which I think, um, you know, I was a, a waitress. I was, a, you know, I waitressed every night in bars. Um, I think I actually only recently started making more money than I was then. <laughs> It was yep. crazy awesome uh, with all the tips and whatnot. And, um, but I was able to, uh, I think it was a great lesson in university and just managing my life, like how to work and how to show up every day and multitask as a young person and have an amazing, fun social life. Um, and so that was kind of my university experience. Did I pull anything out of those classes other than the film classes I talked about that made me go to Europe? Probably not. I passed all my classes. I did really well. And then I got out and then I started just following the passion of people and creativity. Love it. Did, did you, you went to, you finished university, right? I never finished. You never did? No, I, uh, my, my, my disastrous um, uh, decision-making time was first and second year university. It hits where, everyone at different times. Oh yeah, it got me good. It was um, uh, University of Calgary and... In Alberta, you can drink at 18. So we thought, you know, we had died and gone to heaven. And there was a group of my friends that we all went. And uh, I was the guy that would show up. If, if I did show up to class, I'd literally still be in my pajamas. Oh. I was that guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And like barely made classes. I, I Like you, I, I got by. Um, but then I dropped out after two years because I just felt like I am a higher performer than this. And uh -huh. I'm not engaging like right something's got to give right and right. I felt that after the first year of university mm -hmm. I just had a ton of fun met lots of great people um and uh but then second year I was like this just this isn't the right environment for me right um so and anyways. now because of your success you've had chances to go to Harvard yes that's the that's the that's the funny thing about life yeah yeah I actually go I go in in uh in about a month and a half Amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. And, and that will you credit through just your effort and showing, like finding your passion. Passion, yeah. And Jen, I think just having a, a desire to be better and a mm -hmm. desire for self-growth. Um, really, like that is maybe an overused term, but just every day, how do I reflect? How do I be right. better for myself, but also importantly for the people around me? And um, whatever resources and time that I can allocate to something like Harvard is just a gift for myself and the people around me. Um, so I think just a lot of it has to do with that, that self-awareness. Right, right. And just uh, developing yourself as a, as a person. And yeah, as a more whole person. It's amazing. Yeah. And I definitely didn't have that, um, maybe that, that wisdom at the age of 18 going to university in a province that allowed you to drink at 18 yeah. <laughs> as many young people encounter <laughs> I definitely encountered that um I've seen this a lot and uh and we are of we are of similar uh age and and uh, it's something that had really attracted me towards investing in in Thunderbird was the mission really a mission-driven company and the mission being um creating content for a world that makes it a better place. What does that mean to you? And why, why that? Like why, um, you know, and, and I'll go a little further on this. Um, I was reading a great article today about the WE company, you know, WeWork. And 
It's a mission-driven company, but it's come under major scrutiny for governance and and you know this art. This one article was arguing: How do you have a mission like um, elevate the world's consciousness on a subletting office business? Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. a great article and challenging. You know, why is this company worth at one point forty-seven billion dollars, um, but at the same time? you know, doing all these, all these odd things. Like how, how do you stick to, so what does it mean to you? I'm sorry, it's a, it's a long question, but what does it mean to you and how do you stick to it, you know, on a, on a, on a daily basis with, with people and, and, and how do you ensure that that really is what ties in together the, the culture? Yeah, it, it's, um, that's a great question. I think, um, with regards to the mission statement, uh, you know, <clears throat> I feel a social obligation um, to, uh, you know, the kids and family is an easy equation for me when I think, you know, when you boil down the value of your work, it might just be that parents are trying to cook dinner safely, they've got boiling potatoes on, and you don't want kids around the stove. I know, three kids, it can be absolutely hairy. Um, Putting something on a screen that has some value, there's a message um, that is important, and it's an escape. And... And it's wonderful, you know, the goal of broadly making people happy uh, is a good one. And so I want to create content that isn't gory, there's no guns, there's no violence that stays true to the value system. We've had the chance to work on things like that. We would never do it. Don't. It's against our company value system. So, you know, that is a huge part of what we do in terms of as it relates to the company, you know, a lot of people around me have said, man, you've chosen a hard path in how you're doing this because it's a lot easier just to go, here's the schedule, here's the budget, hit it, boom. You're not doing it, too bad. I don't do that. Hmm. You know, I'm really trying to get teams that are building and working and that we have a social conscious and I conscience and I always put people above the bottom line. Could we squeeze more money out of the company? A hundred percent. Do I think that will pay off big time in the long term? No, I really don't. I think that if corporate Canada, corporate America starts to create a culture where people are above the bottom line, that the businesses will be more successful, uh, that people will be healthier. I think in Canada, we're lucky because we're born with a sense of social obligation. When I talk to my American peers, some of them can't believe that more than half of my salary goes to taxes, and I couldn't be happier about that. Mm. And when I tell them that, they're gobsmacked. I love that I pay taxes because I benefit from them too. So does my family. And I would never have a problem with that. And so I think as a company, creating content, creating a space where people are put first uh, will eventually lead to the billion-dollar company. And because you're going to keep the best talent, you're going to have a happy workforce, all of that equates to greater success. And I believe that in every fiber of my being. Is it easier at this stage during a build? No. I've had CFOs say, man, you're, this is a crazy hard path you're doing. But I, I fully believe it. And because I have to manage all the teams and the people and the building of that, and I can't just come in and say, do this, do that, here's the bottom line, I'm out. Uh, but it's way more rewarding for me. And again, that adage, I'm getting out of it what I put into it. And is, for sure, and is it is there a big enough market for your business to stick to those core values? I think so. There's so many, you know, there's never been a better time to be creating content and only the best will win. And people want to work with, people that, you know, operate with integrity and trust. And we do the same things to the client. We're not just putting um, the bottom line number one. We're putting their, you know, when we work with Disney or Netflix or Apple or Nickelodeon or Discovery or whoever, um, we're taking that same approach. So, you know, could we eke out more money? Probably. Would it lead to a long-term relationship? No. That's the important thing. The short-term, um, yeah, the short-term mindset of, 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 or what's, what's, what I've noticed is, yeah, the short-term mindset of, 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 of capitalism as we know it right now. But it's changing. It is, it is changing. It's why you have 
these incredible valuations for companies that are disrupting, that are building people. Mm. Um, Patagonia is a really exciting example of that. I look to them, you know, uh, for their core value set and how they're operating, and it's their disruptors in that. Tell me more. Uh, they just are putting culture and people first and social consciousness and and I think they're you know people are starting to invest in them because of that and when I think I believe when you look at young people and all the fears they have about climate change and uh, you know I've gone to some of the rallies with my teenage daughter and and with David Suzuki there and they're all holding signs like you'll die of old age we'll die of climate change it's scary and as these young people grow up and become active investors and citizens of the world, I believe that the younger generation is going to look to invest in companies um, that offer more um, than just the bottom line. I couldn't agree more. What does it feel like to have a thousand, approximately a thousand employees? Um, It feels um, a deep sense of obligation to them, to their families, to their mortgages, to their dreams. And that is what, you know, I can have issues with clients and whatnot. We can work through them. They don't keep me up at night. If an employee's having an issue or they're out of sorts, that's what upsets me. So I care deeply um, because we're nothing without the employees. Um, The reason we're successful is because of them. Full stop. Otherwise, I always say we're just an old building with even older equipment. Uh, and so I think about it a lot, and I just that try to show up for, for them every day and do my best and be honest. How do you handle the balance between taking care of that family and taking care of your, your, blood, fam- your blood family? Uh, well, yeah, that's another great question. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the kid, when, you know, when I had a, a three-year-old and twin, newborn twins, uh, um, it was... It was great training, actually, in traveling around the world now in not sleeping. <laughs> so I really don't need a lot of sleep. I never have. Uh, but I I just try to show up for them. I lock my phone in the glove box when I get home and uh, so I don't look at it. So I'll stick it in the glove box and then go in and try and be engaged. And then when they go to bed, I'll come out and get my phone. Um, right now, because I do have a young family, um, I would say I could... Definitely, there are things that fall off. I don't have it all. I could exercise a lot more. Uh, that seems to go away from me. And you know, I walk my really lazy Labradoodle who doesn't move very fast at 5 a.m. <laughs> Am I going to be an all-star athlete by any way, shape, or form doing that? <laughs> no, it's all I can do right now. And do I see friends enough? No, I'm lucky that I've had friends that you know around me since I was 12. Some of my best friends I've had since grade seven and they're my best friends and so they tolerate me. I'm really lucky because I don't invest enough energy in them and I love them. I just hope that the reach outs that I do, they, they'll be there when I surface more. But right now for me, it's work, family. That's it. So I'm just hoping I don't get to be 50 and fat and friendless. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'll still be your friend, Jen. Okay, thank you, Brian. I'll still be your <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, um, I feel like it's chapters, right? It sounds like this chapter is, yeah, build, build, build the business and, and raise your family. That's, that's what I got. I'm giving those two things my all. I try and eke out other things occasionally, but I would say unsuccessfully. (laughs) Thank you for your honesty. (laughs) Um, what advice would you give to a young woman in particular, because you are the first um, female guest, um, and there is still so many industries, especially high-paying industries, mm-hmm. the stats still show that a lot of them are still male-dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had first-hand experience now working with you, uh, working with the FWE, um, and really seeing—it's amazing what you do with the FTWE. Brian. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, it's amazing. You. We were talking about you the other day. Oh boy, I was at a meeting and just your mentorship, and everyone at the table was saying what a great job you had done, and how they can't wait to have you back. It's incredible you. how you've done that. Thank you. Well, I, it was it was it was learning for me in being in a very male-dominated industry myself, 
in understanding and appreciating the different layers of of consideration that I noticed women give to decision making, um, as opposed to what I've seen a lot of, um, maybe less so now, but but in my early years of a lot of ego-driven decisions and rah, 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 to now uh, seeing women in particular having layers of consideration to them that, that I've learned a lot from. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what, what advice would you give to a young woman um, trying to stand out in these male-dominated industries? Mm-hmm. I know it's probably another tough question, but how, how would you... Uh, it's a great. It's a great question. I'd say be yourself. Stay true to your values. Uh, don't worry about stepping forward. Uh, and think about the other young women in your life. Two of my three kids are girls. <clears throat> I would like for them when they're my age. You know, right now there's still more CEOs named John than there are female CEOs in Canada. And you know, you and I have talked about this. You can't. People can't, if they can see it, they can be it. And I hope that other young women can say, okay, I don't have to choose a career or a family. There's someone who's doing it, you know, not perfectly, but showing up every day and trying her best, and it's okay. And I meet with a lot of young women who say, well, I want to have a family one day, so I don't want to take this promotion. And I said, "What? But that's crazy." Yeah, don't che- don't cheapen yourself. Don't. Yeah, like, yeah. You don't have yeah, to choose. You don't have to. You don't have to choose. You know. Um, well, what if I get pregnant and I let the company down? How is that letting the company down? Nine months of you is better than none of you, and then you can go back to it with a higher position. It's hard for women to get back in the workforce after they take time off. It was, you know, juggling it early on uh, when the kids were really, you know, not in school, all under five was tremendously difficult. I used to call childcare my second full-time job, trying to piece it all together. And, you know, just don't keep your hand in it because if you've been a person who's loved work, as I have, you know, right from the get-go, always just loved being around people and, and the satisfaction of working, that's a part of yourself you want to hold on to because as kids grow and change. And, you know, right now I have a 14 year old. She is lovely and amazing. I am really glad some days I have a job. <laughs> yeah. If I was pouring everything into that, she doesn't even need that anymore. You know, so it's, it's such a key point that, it, um, having, having balance, having mm-hmm. different things that provide you with fulfillment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think allow for, for, um, someone for myself to not hit rock bottom moments. I found early on in my life that I put everything I had into work and then everything I had into a relationship. Yeah. And it's like, that's really unhealthy. It is. Cause when know? you've got one file open, you lose perspective. And so, you know, I always say, keep more files open in your mind because, uh, you know, I've got a 14 year old girl. She is incredible. Boy, does she give it to me some days. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't take it as personally as <clears throat> some of my good friends who I respect fully, and I'm not commenting because, you know, staying at home is harder than what I'm doing, much harder. Yeah, uh, I agree. But I feel lucky because I can go to work and someone might say good job. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, and then and then I get a little bit of myself and the, um, you know, the perspective shift that's required to be patient and a great mom, which is my number one goal. And I think I'm a better mom because I work. I really do uh, because I do have that perspective. You know, again, is it perfect? No. Do I work out? No. Do I see my friends enough? No. But when I'm doing those, those things that I'm focusing on at this chapter, it gives me that perspective. Yeah, I love it. I, I, I see the, I see the same. I notice the same um, with some of the men in my life that I look up to. Um, just when they have kids, um, you know, they explain to me that it gives perspective that just rounds them out better as, as, as business people, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, or relationships or just other things in your life that you care about and that you can separate because then you can, um, turn that part of your life off 
focus. And then when you come back to it, you're, you've got renewed perspective and it's yeah. Um, and energy. And like you said, someone saying, Hey, good job. Well, you know, if you had a tough day at the house at home, uh, yeah. it's like, Oh, you know, someone yeah. values me. This yeah. is great. Yeah. This is a nice reminder for us humans that whoever, know, whoever wrote the exorcist, I for sure had a 13 or 14 year old girl. <laughs> And God bless them. I love them. But it is a hormonal time of change. And so, you know, you just got to, you can't, when things escalate, it's when you're taking it personally and realizing like, hey, you're not the manager anymore at that age. You're the consultant. Get on the edge. <laughs> Come in and consult when yeah. you're needed. Be there all the time. Yeah. But you're not, you're not managing it. No, anymore. no, no. It's her life now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's on her way. Exactly. But Very it's, cool. But it, you, you've seen that too with your life, with the relationships and work. And yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it's oh. I think it's a juggle for everyone. We yes. all, <clears throat> we all struggle with it and finding that perspective and. Yeah. But the key is, I really think the key takeaway for me in finding more balance in my life has been that having more buckets than just one that whether it's full and it's, mm-hmm. it's a feeling of, of almost euphoria but when it's empty, it's empty and having yes. just more fuel tanks that um, you can lean on um, so that the, the volatility in, in, in life isn't as as big. And I think that I think about this class you did again from grade three to ten, that what an amazing class to explore different different things, music or movies or sports or meditation. Um, you know, I'm catching up with that now at 31 exploring different things that I never did as a young person because it, for me it was all about make money and play sports mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. was pretty well it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, and mostly make money you know that mm-hmm. was my that was my fulfillment that was mm-hmm. my happiness and then mm-hmm. you know I did that and I was like oh well that didn't feel that good actually mm-hmm. you know there's got to be a lot more to this or that I should yeah. say that it, it, one fuel tank was filled one right. level of fulfillment right. was right. filled but there's so many more and I think it's just unique. It's very bespoke for, for each individual. Absolutely. And good thing, you know, you are 31 and can try all those other tanks on. Yeah. Living my early 20s, I guess, at 31 again, you know, doing things yeah. like this, um, which, which I just would have never done before. Amazing. Yeah. The curiosity. And thank you. Yeah. I think we can we can end it there. Thank you, Jen. Okay, you got to get back you. to work. I love to- <laughs> so do I. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Okay. Thanks for listening to Building Business and Balance with me, Brian Pacebrega. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and the wisdom of the guests I'm privileged to have met and worked with around the world. Subscribe to my series on iTunes for real, raw, and diverse discussions with thought leaders and pioneers on building business, balance, and defining your own success. Tune in next time for episode three, featuring my dear friend, Alexander Ludwig. Until then... Stay curious, my friends.